Good to see each one of you here this evening. Um, I'm sure that others will be coming in as they finish their dinner tonight, and uh, we get the opportunity to begin this evening program with uh, a panel discussion here focused on personal evangelism, personal evangelism. So um, I'm going to start by just letting each of the panel panelists introduce themselves, and then we'll have a word of prayer. And we'll get into our, our discussion. So why don't we start on this end with uh, Elder Rustad. I am the president of the Georgia Cumberland Conference. Well, John McIntosh, um, a pastor in Northern California. Uh, Calvin Kim, I'm a dentist from Washington State. I'm currently serving as the VP of Evangelism for ASI. My name is Adriana Morales, and I work with Outpost Centers International. My name is Stephen Grabner, and I'm president of Percepta Leadership Coaching Ministry. And my name is Chester Clark, and I'm vice president of Georgia Cumberland Conference. So we're glad to be here tonight, and we're thankful for ASI. We're thankful for each of you and what you do to share Christ in your marketplace. And the purpose of this evening's panel is just to maybe hear some stories, ideas, thoughts, passages, promises about personal evangelism, personal witnessing, and uh, what we can do to be more effective in that regard. And I'm wondering, um, Dr. Grabner, if you wouldn't mind just having a word of prayer for us as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this entire weekend, the fellowship, the inspiration, the words, uh, from the guidance from your word to each one of us, and now we invite your presence as we begin this evening meeting. Be with the panel, be with those that are here and those that are watching online. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we just start with a 30,000-foot view, maybe, and just talk about evangelism in general. Evangelism. Is evangelism important for the church, or why is it important for the church? Some people think it's an outdated thing. It's something of the past. We'd be better off investing in other things. What is evangelism and why is it important? Uh, I was going to say it is important because Jesus told us to do it. Okay. <laughs> Jesus told us. Go you therefore. Part of the Great Commission, uh, which really is repeated five times in Scripture, uh, but this whole promise that you're going to go to the entire world. God only had one son, and he was an evangelist. So, you know, you know where he's headed. And uh, evangelism, been done evangelism in many, many churches. And it's the lifeblood of the church, really. It's the reason we exist, to share the good news. Sister White tells us that if we want to grow in our spirituality, that we need to carry the burden for lost souls. And um, in my own personal life, I've experienced the same thing. That I've seen nothing help me grow spiritually more than sharing with others. And I think one last thing, since we've got two church administrators here, he does, that does not gather with me scatters. You're going to do evangelism, either destructive evangelism or constructive evangelism. You're going to use your persuasive gifts somehow. And so the question is not 
whether or not evangelists, those people that are telling you they don't like evangelism, that's their evangelism. So. There you go. So, zooming in a little closer, though, with evangelism, now talking about personal evangelism. That <clears throat> sort of separates it from something the church board votes. It separates it from the activities that we might think of as a series that happens every year or two or whatever. What is personal evangelism? Um, a lot of things come to my mind, but Ellen White has a quote that if we do public and personal evangelism together, that, and I'm paraphrasing, that a more thorough and beautiful work can be done. But if you have to choose between the two, she says, go with the individual labor. And in my mind, you know, when I was asked to come into this position with ASI, they asked me if I would focus on personal evangelism, and I was excited about that. And if I could sum up my goal in this position is to try to normalize evangelism is how I would summarize it. And what I mean by that is I think too often we have just looked to the paid clergy, the professionals, the pastors, the evangelists, the Bible workers, the missionaries to do the work of soul winning. When every single one of us is called to do that work. And if we're going to finish the work, every one of us needs to be involved in individual labor for souls. Any other thoughts about why personal evangelism is important? So just back to the, the commission in Matthew chapter 28, very familiar, but starting in verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And the original construction um, is that in your going, make disciples. In other words, in your daily living, as you're walking, as you're going about your life, make disciples. So the concept here is not, okay, well, go out and do make disciples, but that as we live our lives, as we go through our day, make disciples. So you can't separate that from being personal. Sure. Personal evangelism. And I think um, you just queued up Calvin for a, a twist on evangelism, the word that he likes to use. What do you call that lifestyle? Evangel living. Evangel living an intentional and deliberate life of evangelism. Well, and I think personal evangelism, it keeps us grounded um, to who we are, what we've been called to do. Um, because it's it is scary for some, but when you get out and do it, you realize even more how the Holy Spirit wants to use each one of us. It's not someone else does it. Let me hear their stories. Like, wow, the Holy Spirit used me to tell this person about Jesus. So let's talk about some of the experiences you may have had. Um, you know, we talk about maybe we heard some this week about knowing our neighbors and talking to our neighbors. It could be a neighbor experience. The reality is that um, all of us have different associates and places that we may circulate. Hopefully, we have some of those where there aren't all believers. We have some opportunity to, to be salt. Um, what experiences would any of you have of sharing um, personal evangelism in the last year or so with your neighbors or acquaintances? And um, what, what approaches did you find to be helpful? In my case, I love baking. 
and I found like food is a great like excuse to meet people and to <laughs> like cookies, muffins, you know. So in our case, we usually are like working or out of town. So we don't get to know our neighbor much. But we told my, with my husband last year, and we said, we need to know them because we actually don't know them. So we said, okay, well, just knock the door and what? <laughs> so we make cookies. And we prepared the boxes, like very nice with a, a card. And they were very like happy because of that. They were like, okay, I mean, you knock my door has to bring me cookies or muffins. And it's very simple, but it was very like important for them. So we start a relationship like from from food. And actually our next step is invite them to have dinner with us. <laughs> so we will continue using food and it works. Yeah. And another thing that works a lot is being with kids. Like if you have kids, bring it to you and with you and they just play they enter to the house without permission <laughs> so you just need to go and, and catch them so it's very helpful to go with very small kids yes yes in fact uh, in fact I've experienced that myself with kids it's um, just walking around the neighborhood you start to disarm people and disarm prejudice with your neighbors because they they like they like kids and it said that there's a lot of religion in a good loaf of bread. If that's true, imagine how much religion is in a good plate of cookies, right? So, so I'm sure I'm sure your neighbors have really appreciated that, and um, it is that's a, that's a great a great way to get did, to know them. Did you bring so. any samples? Because no, but I can Christina tell, does. I can tell a lot about your witnessing by just tasting one of those myself. Next time. Well, having been the recipient of yeah. many of her baked yeah. goods. So is this is one of your converts. <laughs> there you go. Amen. He grabbed some cookies. They grabbed her, huh? That's exactly that, right? He's my neighbor, actually. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, any other personal experiences you've had? Um, could be in your neighborhood. Could be with other acquaintances as you've worked. Um, you know, I'm now the inreach director at my, uh, in charge of inreach at my church. And so I'm trying to make every inreach opportunity also an outreach as well. So I'm deliberately trying to plan socials where we can invite people that might be our neighbors. So one thing we just did recently was an Iron Chef cook cooking competition. The nice thing about having a cooking competition is that your church members will make the best food. You know, normally potlucks, it's just so, so, people went out of their way. And... Um, for the judges, I specifically wanted to invite people who I'm reach, trying to reach out to. So it gave me a chance to invite my neighbor to be one of the judges because no one will say no to being a judge in a cooking contest. So this is my first way of introducing my neighbor that I love to death to come to our church. I went to get the flyers printed out at a print shop. A lady comes from the back, she's the owner, and she goes, I want to be a judge. I said, you're going to be one of my judges. And so we'll build bridges with her. And she was just sharing with me that a couple of her family members have died. She wants to learn more about health. And I was like, wonderful. And so that's one of the things that I'm doing is just trying to find social events because it's easier to invite them to a social event first. Now they get to know people. And then later, if I have the opportunity to bring them to church, then they already know people and they can make the connections. So just trying to build bridges. All right, Iron Chef, great idea. Well, I think a lot of times it's just the the conversations you have with someone that you may not think much of it. You know, a lot of times we think, well, personal evangelism, I have to be an intentional, I'm going to meet this person with that idea in mind. But I think of recently I had shoulder surgery. So I've been going to physical therapy and I was talking to the physical therapist one day who has a couple other Adventists that are in his physical therapy place and someone, another Adventist that works there. And I'm sitting there and he's, needling my shoulder and he all of a sudden says so I hear you're an Adventist pastor I said yep he said 
there's a lot of Adventists around here. I said, yep. He said, overall, you all are in very good health. I said, yep. He said, so what makes the difference? Well, that gave me a huge opportunity to just share with him while he was doing the needling, and that's only two or three minutes, but just the opportunity that since then, he's asked some other questions about, well, you guys, none of you ever scheduled to come in here on Saturdays. Why is that? I can tell you. Um, just some neat conversations that have developed from that initial, not me, other Adventists that were there, someone who works there, but finding out who I was. That's great. And I'll add another one then since no one else is talking. Um, you know, one of the things that I have found, and I shared this last year, is my wife and I go to CrossFit. And over the years, we've been doing this now probably nine years, we have developed some amazing um, friends amongst the CrossFit group that reach out to us for different things. I've done funerals, done weddings. In fact, there's one couple, they're no longer coming, but this last week they were down at, well actually Thursday, they were at Augusta for the Masters. They sent me a picture and they said, hey, we miss seeing you, how are you doing? And so, you know, it's these little connections, you're just staying connected with people, you never know when they're going to need something. Because for this couple, I was their pastor. They didn't have a pastor, so they reached out to me, and they've reached out to me through the years since their wedding for different prayer requests. So that's sort of exciting, just to be able to plant those seeds. Well, I think that's a, a, an important point. Um, so particularly in your role, you know, as, uh, what's that again? Conference president. Um, you know, all your work is largely with Adventist. And I was in a similar situation, president of OCI and teaching at Southern. You're constantly with like-minded people. So to be intentional and think, okay, what can I do to break out of that? How can I start having good interactions, ongoing interactions with people not of my faith? And, you know, it's not going to start with a Bible study. And it may not end with a Bible study right away, but it may end with, you know, I need help. Can I talk to you? And, again, you've been going there for and making disciples in your daily life. Um, and so along those lines, within the past year, my wife and I were in Chile for an event that we were speaking at. And somebody said, oh, you're going to be um, in the capital city. Call these people. They'll put you up for the night. So I called them, and they said, oh, yeah, of course, come, come, come. And we got to their house. I was a little unprepared for their house because it was extremely nice. You know, three or four servants. It was, they were very well-off people. Um, and so they invited us for dinner, and we were having dinner together. And, you know, the conversation was fairly secular. And then they asked, you know, what I did. And I shared my background as a pastor. And the whole conversation just shifted. They were like, oh, can I ask you a question? You know, it was a religious question. And then, you know, the wife and the daughter and like, yeah, we're just thinking about going back to church. Oh, well, my husband, he doesn't care, but we want to come back. 
you know, we had this hour and a half conversation that originally I was somewhat intimidated, like, oh, how is this going to go? But it ended up being fantastic. And so to put ourselves in situations that might be uncomfortable for us, but trust God to use those situations to reach others. And, you know, <clears throat> you sort of bring out a point there that I think is, is helpful in personal evangelism. Calvin touched on it, too. Um, it's often more advantageous for us to find something that they can help us with. Yeah. And Jesus did that with the woman, woman at the well, didn't he? He asked for a drink of water, something that couldn't be refused. And when, when, when we're just going as if we have all the answers, we have all the information, we, they need our help. And we're here to help. Um, that is not as winning an approach as finding ways like Calvin did to make them the judges so that they have something that they're helping us with, right? And, and here you are, um, presuming upon their hospitality, in, in a positive way, I don't mean that negatively, but you're accepting their hospitality, and that really opens them. And it's a principle we can use, I think, with our neighbors and acquaintances in, in general. Um, Sometimes as Adventists, we could be so anxious to always help that we're not willing to receive. Mm -hmm. And finding ways that your neighbors and acquaintances can, can do something for you can be helpful. We have one neighbor right around the corner from us. Our, it's our next-door neighbor. And um, he's a retired sheriff. And uh, he's, he's always willing to like watch over our place when we're gone and things like that um, which is nice you know we live in a fairly quiet neighborhood but it's still nice to, to know and so so I try to remember to just reach out with him and send a text and say hey we're going to be out of town for a little while you know and and he just he just loves to do that that makes him feel special and, and valued and important now I'm not a baker and so I don't make him cookies but I do have a, I do have a truck and a little tractor, it's just something my wife likes to laugh at me with. We live in a subdivision, but I have a little tractor because you can take the boy off the farm, but not the farm out of the boy. So, so yeah, Gary, Gary knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, he, he, my, the same neighbor needed some, some gravel. He wanted to add a little parking spot on his, on his place. And so I could use my truck and tractor and go make him a little parking spot. And doing little things like that to, to both help out where you can and also to receive where you can, to me, is one of the ways that you build that relationship of trust and of, of, uh, of a friendship that's not, it's not us looking down at them or them feeling like they're just receiving, but there's, there's a, almost a peer-to-peer, neighbor-to-neighbor relationship. God. I want to dovetail off of that because that's so practical. So I'm the kind of person, if you invite me to your house and you go, would you like a glass of water or a drink? I typically say, oh, no, because I don't want to oblige. And my best friend who's an evangelist years ago, he told me when they ask you, say yes, because they want to do something. And it totally changed. It was like a paradigm shift. And so now if you invite me to your house and you go, would you like some cookies? I'm going to say yes. So anyways, there's something about that that builds the trust and relationship. This morning I was on the elevator coming down from the Hampton, and there was a really nice couple there. And I'm like, okay, how can I engage with them? And the lady had a Florida shirt. So I just said, are you guys from Florida? So we started chatting. How long did it take you to get here? Eight hours. And we're walking out. As soon as I stepped out, it's pouring rain. I said, you know what? Where are you guys going? They said, we're going to the Pancake House. I said, you know what? The convention center is right by there. 
I need to be there. Could I catch a ride with you guys? And they're like, sure. You know what I mean? So I jump in there, Ford F-350, and this gave me the opportunity right when I'm done. And one of the things I do is I always try to make it personal when I share something. I go, you know what? I'm a dentist, and this is one of my favorite books, and I'd like to give this to you guys. You know what I mean? So just by asking them that favor, it gave me an opportunity without being awkward. And just here's literature, but gave me an opportunity to share that literature. So I totally just uh, agree. You know, when we ask favors, it builds bridges with people. All right, well, um, how do you decide when you're going to make that step from just building trust to maybe sharing some literature? And how do you, sh how do you decide what literature to share? Maybe you always have a, a fallback. I don't know. I think we all have different approaches, but I'd just like to hear maybe if, if any of you have thoughts as to how to know when that step is to be taken. You've, you've shared, Calvin, that if you're not going to meet them again, you want to leave something with them. So, am I on? Um, so I'll just tell you what I do practically. In my, you know, there's a quote by Ellen White, and I'm paraphrasing, that a lot of people receive, the, receive literature, and they might leave it on their shelf. They might not read it. But a time will come when they go through some kind of difficulty, and the Holy Spirit will move upon them to read the literature. And we know stories of David Ashley, John Bradshaw, of people who came into the church because of that. And so for me, with my patients, I want to put a great controversy in every one of their homes. And I know among certain circles, people are down on doing things like that or the great controversy, but I'm not, and based on the council. And so what I do is I don't hand a patient a great controversy on the first visit. Before I hand someone literature, I actually check the computer chart to see how long I've been they've been a patient of mine to see if they have some kind of relationship instead of the first visit, and I don't want to scare them off. But if they do... I look for opportunities. When they tell me, Dr. Kim, we're so thankful. Thank you so much. That's a perfect opportunity. I've got something for you. And what I do is I write my, I, I'm, I'm walking back to them. I write my cell phone number in the inside cover. And I go, this is my cell phone. I want to give this to you. And right there, that's something positive, right? Because I'm giving them my personal cell phone number. Keep this number. If you have an emergency, give me a call. So I'm making it positive. And then I just share with them. This is one of my favorite books that I love to hand out to the, my patients. I'll say something quick like this. I'll say, you know, in my worldview, why I believe the Bible is because of Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy has been 100% accurate. And it's, I'm not sh pushing it upon them. Usually they just thank me. They smile. And so that's kind of my go-to. When I'm traveling, I'm traveling quite a bit. So I have great controversies or I have glow that I'm sharing. But usually I determine if I'm only going to meet them once, I want to leave them with literature. But sometimes if I think I'm going to, I've even had people where um, I've asked them, in a winsome way to get their contact information so I can mail them something. So it all depends on the situation. But you know, if I'm only gonna see them one time, I do want to leave them something. Any other thoughts as to how you sort of make that adjustment from just winning confidence to, and it could, maybe it's not, maybe the first step isn't uh, Get, or the next step isn't giving them literature. Maybe the next step is inviting them to a church event or something like that. How do you know when a person is ready for these next steps? Well, I think so much of it is, you know, the Holy Spirit. Let's see. I guess we're on. The Holy Spirit um, communicating with you. And I find that it's so different between different people. I think, I think of a um, young man... Well, he's my age. Yeah, I'll still say a young man. <laughs> he, a young man that I had the opportunity to baptize. Um, he was at the gym. 
Well, had I gone up to him the first about two and a half years that I knew him and said, hey, would you like to do Bible studies? He would have been like, absolutely not, and kicked me out of the gym, maybe. Um, but it was after a series of going to his dad's funeral, him going through a divorce, getting remarried to an Adventist. And when that happened, I was like, okay, this is the opportunity to ask him, would you be interested in Bible studies? Well, it was amazing how the Holy Spirit had already worked on his heart, and he said, yes, I would. And I was like, you know, this is amazing. There's others that I've given Bible studies to. I think of someone down in Duluth, Georgia. They walked in our church. I had not met them before. They were just searching for a church. Well, I felt like right then I needed to ask them, would you be interested in Bible studies? I did. We started doing Bible studies right then. So a lot of it is... How in tune are you to allowing the Holy Spirit to tell you or maybe nudge you or maybe even kick you saying, hey, ask them if they want to do Bible studies? I know that, um, Calvin, uh, I, think, I, I think you'll find a lot of, of uh, agreement on this panel about the great controversy. Um, George Cumberland, we've had a... We've had a uh, desire to help our members share that book and maybe Gary you can tell us a little bit about it last year at general conference they shared that the sharing book for 23 and 24 was going to be the great controversy so a few months after that we had our NAD pastors meetings and we had a meeting with all of our Georgia Cumberland pastors well, administration felt like, hey, you know, we need to get some great controversies so that our churches, our members can pass them out, personal evangelism. So we contacted um, Remnant Publications, and they shared with us, listen, we'd love to work with you, and we subsidize the great controversy from the conference, so it only cost a church 25 cents per book. And our goal was to have 100,000 English and 100,000 Spanish ordered. And they said, if you do that, you can design the cover and put whatever you want in there on two of the pages. So we sent this request out to our pastors. Needless to say, when we ended up placing the order, we placed the order for 200,000 English and 100,000 Spanish version Great Controversy. Now... We're not going to make this only you all sitting here listening tonight. This is you getting involved because I happen to bring some of these great controversies that are over there on that table for afterwards tonight. I want you to pick some of these up and share them. Now, the neat thing that we're excited about is in this great controversy, there is a page here, and I'll see if I can, see if I can find it. There is a page inside that has a QR code and a web page. They can do the QR code and it takes them to a page on the internet that they can listen to the great controversy or they can fill in a form for Bible studies. That then will go to another one of our conference programs. It's called the Leads Program that our ministerial department has helped develop that then takes that interest. You know, a lot of times what happened, when we get interest from different ministries, they'd sit there for a few months, and by the time a pastor got them, they were sort of um, not the most warm interest. 
These instantly go to a leads coordinator at the local church who then follows up on those. So 300,000 of these books are going out in the Georgia Cumberland Conference territory this year. And I can't wait till we get to heaven to see the results of what this book did in this giving away of these 300,000. Now, I want to share this. We've been getting members to get involved, and every Monday morning at the office, we have um, office worship. We have it every day, but Monday morning, I'm in charge of office worship. We do prayer requests. We have one of our um, staff there at the office that every Monday morning for probably the last four or five weeks has been coming and sharing new stories about how her church has gone and passed this book out. And she said, I was so nervous the first week we went and did it. She said, but I went and did it. And the stories that she shares, you can tell how excited she is to see how the Holy Spirit has used not only her, but others in the church. And they've gotten Bible studies because of just going door to door to pass this book out. So pick some of these books up. We're leaving them here. We want you to take them. Thank you. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this last Monday, the story she told was actually somebody had come to church, wasn't it? Yes. From, from that uh, di literature distribution. Yep. So, and for a small church, you know, of just a few dozen maybe members, having a, having a visitor come is, is an exciting thing. And uh, so that's, that's what we want to see. We want to see our members involved more in sharing their faith. And it, it can seem, it can seem uh, daunting, perhaps. Um, there can be barriers. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Why do you think, what do you think are the barriers to personal witnessing, that uh, personal evangelism, I should say, that prevents more members from being involved and engaged? What are some of the, the barriers? Just sort of, doesn't have to be a long answer, just what do you think they are? I think, I think uh, we put our barriers because of our character or personality, but actually if you want to do something for God and with God, there's no barriers. There are challenges. Like, yeah, there, yeah, there are like challenges that we put, like for example, resources, language, time, and time. <laughs> yeah, time. But I think it's more like, yes, these challenges that come, but not like real barriers because God is with you and he opens the door. Yeah. I mean, for sure it's fear all the time. I get that all the time. People are afraid of not knowing how to give a Bible study, not knowing what to share. I always encourage people that if you grew up with Uncle Arthur Maxwell's Bible story book, you know more Bible than most people out there. Most people have a distorted view of scripture anyways. Um, one of the things I encourage people to do is start small, start simple, right? Which is in the morning after devotions, just ask God for divine appointments for your day. Because you're starting your day by making yourself available to God. And what you're doing is you're starting your day with a mindset for evangelism. Because the opportunities are everywhere. They're all around you for people to share with, you know what I mean? And the thing is, I can't imagine a better prayer than asking God for God to give you someone to study the Bible with. It's amazing how many times I've had people come up to me, even people in ministry, and they've shared with me, Calvin, I've never given a Bible study before. I'm like, wow, you've been in ministry all your life. Well, it's easy to be in ministry, mm -hmm. right? But I'll tell you, giving a Bible study to someone, when I'm giving a Bible to study to somebody, I'm a channel for God's love to flow through me. And I will find myself saying encouraging and inspiring things that I needed to hear. And I, when I walk away, I am receiving fresh revelations of God's love for me. And it's, it's kind of like exercise. Sometimes you don't feel like exercising, but you go and do it, and afterwards you feel amazing. It's just like that with the Bible study. 10, 15 minutes into it, 
you know, it's an, every Bible study is an opportunity to share with someone the truth about who God is. And it, there's nothing that's revived my own spiritual life like actively giving Bible studies. So if you have never given a Bible study, that's my challenge to you, is ask God to give you one. Could you imagine that you, you get to heaven one day, and you look back, and you didn't even give one Bible study to somebody. You're missing out. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers is the type of Bible study material we have. It's uh, daunting. It's confusing. It's topical. And Jesus... Uh, and Jesus didn't really use a topical method except for the people he knew for many years. And that's Luke 24. He used topical with them, but he'd known them for three years. I think just reading the Bible in one book um, and just going chapter by chapter, and Ellen White talks a lot about Bible readings. I've done a fair amount of personal evangelism and run an evangelism school actually run two evangelism schools and I can assure you that the biggest thing is a fear of rejection or not knowing what you do and I've spent countless weeks trying to get people prepared to do something that I probably shouldn't have had them get prepared to do um, so just reading and trusting that God's going to help you with that dialogue I mean I would read it through uh, before you go out, but uh, I'm just telling you that revolutionizes people's approach. That they're, they're not as they're not as afraid. So it's fear of rejection and it's complicated materials that you think you have to depend on. Those are the two biggest challenges. So, yeah. and just to piggyback off of that, um, and I heartily agree with what you said. Um, in addition to that is for me I think a barrier is the perception that the way to do personal evangelism is this way Yeah. Um, either give the book or give the Bible study both of which are tremendous ways of ministering but giving cookies is also a way of breaking down barriers and you know, to paint a broader picture where, okay, I can't give a, a Bible study from whoever's printing the study, but I can read a chapter with somebody. Yeah. And, and making it fit more yeah. the character of the individual that's doing the evangelism. So here's my, okay, here's my three questions that anybody can do in a Bible study. What is the problem the passage is talking about? What is the solution the passage is offering? And what is the process of moving from problem to solution? It doesn't matter what you're reading in the Bible, you can do that. So you don't need Don McIntosh's studies. Please don't do that. All you need is what's the problem What's the solution and what's the process for moving from problem solution? And the other thing is you want to teach people how to read the Bible themselves so they're not dependent on you. Where do they go? How do they get problems answered? What's the problem solution? And don't be like Flipper. 
the, the porpoise or whatever. Um, don't flip all over the Bible. No one can reproduce that. No one can reproduce that. And how do they know you're flipping to the right place? So go through a chapter. Why did they write the chapter? So you would flip somewhere else? No, the book is written to read the book. Not, you look like you're having some kind of spiritual seizure or something. No, just stay in the chapter. <laughs> so two heretics up here. So yeah. So this is a that's 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 a great perspective of how you can you. Uh, begin studying the Bible, particularly if it's not something it you're is. accustomed to. Um, <laughs> the theologian in me does does bristle a little bit. I have to be honest, um, because the uh, you know the 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 line upon line, her little their little, um, is I think a a a correct process for studying the Bible, although it doesn't have to be the only one, or the first one, or, um, yeah. So, so um, and I know you're not just saying that, you know, exegesis is the only solution, like, like some, and proof texting is wrong, and that type of I thing. I mean, do you expect they're going to do intertextuality and systematic theology? No! Just read! <laughs> okay. Okay. Until so, they become theologians, so, and then they can... <laughs> Yes, so so uh, we'll we'll leave that for now, um, but but you know Calvin uses this term evangel living, and I really like that um, because it's 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 really saying the same thing that that Don is hitting at. Um, we don't have to give a a topical doctrinal Bible study to be doing personal evangelism. And I think that is one of the barriers, and we can agree on that. That is one of the barriers that that um, that people have to personal witnessing is that sometimes we think it's something we have to do different, like we have to find time in our schedule to go do this. We have to learn a new skill to go do this. We have to take a class in giving Bible studies. We have to take a class in how to turn conversations to be more religious and spiritual. Oh, and, and those things may exactly. be helpful, but here's the, here's the point, I think, of evangel living. And tell me if I'm wrong, Calvin. The point of evangel living is you do you. You go and live your life. If you're a dentist, you go and be a good dentist. If you're, if you're, if you're a pastor, but you go work out in the gym, you go work out in the gym. If you, if you like to play in the mud with a tractor, you go and you play in the mud with a tractor. But find ways to do what you do anyway as a tool to tell others about Jesus and show God's love to them. And that makes actually, it lowers the bar a bit um, because it says, I don't have to fit in that category of whatever I've heard on the stage. I be myself with the gifts that God has given me mm. and the interests that God has given me oh, yeah. and, the, the, and the daily activities and schedule and, and responsibilities God has given me. And in my own paradigm, God can use me to meet people that that pastor will never meet and that dentist that gives great Bible studies will never meet and that uh, pastor that gives Bible readings will never meet. Um, God can use me in my sphere. And that is true of every single one of us. God can use you in your sphere. One of the barriers, I think, is that we think we have to do something extraordinary. And God is asking us to simply allow Him to live through us 
in our everyday lives so that people can see what a Christian looks like in our, in our sphere. Yes. And a hearty amen. And I just need to say, um, I'm really glad I don't have to sing to people in the elevator to evangelize. I'm glad you don't, too. <laughs> yeah, especially if you heard me sing, right? Um, but, you know, that's someone who shall not be named's gift um, to sing at breakfast and in the elevator or wherever he does it. I'm like, okay, blessings on you. That's not me. And we don't need to... Die, die, put, <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> um, Sorry. Now the song's in my head. <laughs> See? <laughs> well, I just lost my train of thought now. Hey. Okay, okay, real quick. Let, okay, a couple things, a couple things, just to bring some balance, okay? Oh, what? What? You know, the Bible says, let each man be convinced in his own mind. And we've concluded, some of us, that Pastor Don can get away with things that many of us can't get away with. I've heard the same thing about Louis Torres. One of his Bible workers told me he'll walk into a house and start breaking all of his own rules, and he gets results. But if I started to do that, I might not get the same results. So, you know, I think there's different ways. I have a friend. She had a patient and three other family members. She went through all the Amazing Facts study guides, just read the question, read the answer, because she didn't know how to give a Bible study, and all four got baptized. That's all she did. And so, you know, there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat. But anyways, going back to what Chester said about the evangel living, one thing I want to just highlight with that. Because it's the way that we're living our life, do you know what the four most oft-repeated commands in the Bible are, okay? When I usually ask this question, most people don't get the answers right. It's not love your neighbor. It's not, it's not any one of these wonderful commandments. The most four oft most repeated command is to fear not. Number two, to give praise, give thanksgiving, and rejoice always. Hmm. And the reason why this is so important is that it shows that God is not about prohibitions. He's not about thou shalt not. It's about our happiness, but the reason why this, mm -hmm. I'm highlighting this is that the way we carry ourselves, mm -hmm. if you're fearful like everyone else's, no one's yeah. going to come to you and ask you for advice for a Bible study because you're just like everyone else. If you're not always praising God and thanking God, you're a complainer. Mm. You're complaining all the time and you're negative. No one's going to come up to you and ask you. Um, you know, I had a girl at the rock climbing gym. She was just heathen. And I was just like, if she just had Jesus in her life, her life would change. And, I, you know, I've... I've, she's been in my home. We've taken her rock climbing. She's no interest in spiritual things. But in the height of COVID, she messages me. And she tells me that her sister is in New Zealand. Her and her mother are freaking out about her. And she goes, Calvin, will you pray for me? Mm. And I was like, oh, praise the Lord. And so I think the basic is that we need to follow these four most oft-repeated commands. And the way that we carry ourselves more than anything will probably preach a sermon and give us those opportunities to witness. To Sounds people. like you need to be singing it for rejoicing. Uh, but remember, there was a whole culture, um, Whitcliffe, they were called the Lollards. La, 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 la. That's where we get the word lullaby. So grab onto that. So that, th th this is big. This is big. I mean, uh, I do think joy, and I don't think contrived things. Now, let me just defend now Bible lessons because I don't want remnant uh, representatives killing me after the service or it is written or whatever. These are great study guides. So this is how I use them. I give them to people and I say, read these during the week and tell me what you think about them. I don't say I'm committed to them. I'm going to defend them. I use them as my front guard to just say, tell me what you think about that. 
And when I do that, it totally disarms the situation. I don't have to defend it, but it helps me know what to do next. And then I say, you read that, but why don't we just read something from the Bible? What book do you want to read? Boom. All right. Well, one thing that we've seen here, not just in this panel, but throughout this weekend, is that God uses different people in different ways. Amen. You know, I, 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 told, I told Don after the other evening, um, we, we heard Calvin talking about how we just need to be normal. And then we heard Don. Um, so... <laughs> The point is very clear. I hope it's clear to all of you that I'm getting God, the point. <laughs> God, I'm getting the message. God wants to use you with your unique gifts, your unique personality. We can't all be a Don. We can't all be a Calvin. Um, we, we can, we can or, yeah, or Chester or, 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 or uh, Stephen or, or Adriana. But you can be you, and God will use you. So I want to thank you for being here tonight. Thank you to the panelists for sharing. May God bless you as you seek to share His love with others. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.